Uh, today is actually something we call Journey Go Sunday, and it's about our global outreach. And I'm really excited to get to talk about this today. And I kind of like the fact that we set it apart to talk about because I don't want to just share with you what we do. That's <coughs> some of what the video has been doing uh, today, and we have a couple more to show you. Um, is that not just what we do, but why we do it. And that's the part that I think I enjoy the most is not just sharing uh, uh, the valued partnerships that we have, but why as a church do we partner and why do we go, right? Why do we go? And you may know some of the things that we do based on conversations you've had and things you've heard us mention from time to time, but I want you to know why, why we do it. Now, let me go ahead and throw it right up front. I'm going to let you know right up front. Here's the bottom line for the day. This is my ultimate goal for the day. So I'm going to tell you right now, it's not a, I'm not trying to like, uh, what is it called? Hook and bait you or what's it called? Bait and what? Bait and switch. There you go. Yeah. I don't know those things either. Anyway, I'm not trying to, obviously I'm not because I can't say it. I'm not trying to bait you in anything. I want to let you know right now what I'm trying to do this morning. And that is to move everyone here from a place of no, maybe, and one day. And I'm trying to move you to Yes. All right? I'll explain more about this later, but that's the goal. Move as many people as possible. My goal is everyone from a position of no, maybe, one day, and move you to a place where your heart is responding yes. All right? Today's focus is global in terms of our global outreach, but our local and global outreach and strategy is, is really kind of the same. And so we'll talk a little bit about how that connects. Here's a great quote by J.R. Scott. Uh, we must be a global Christians with a global vision because our God is a global God. There's an importance to what we do, not just as a local church, but why we feel the call to connect globally, and that's because of the God that we serve, because of the kingdom that we uh, are a part of. And, uh, and our local and global strategy is very similar. So even though we, we, we're going to focus on global today, I just want you to know this is, this is what it is. Our vision is a church. You see it out on the window. We're transformed people uh, uh, wanting to see our uh, friends' lives changed by absolute hope. In terms of what we do as a church, everything falls under our mission, which is we, wanna, we exist to humbly point everyone to absolute hope. But the how we do it, the strategy by how we do it is very simple. I'll share it in two words, and that's share and serve, all right? We're going to share that hope, that absolute hope that we have, and we're going to serve others. We're going to serve one another in love. That's, that's the ultimate strategy behind everything that we do locally and globally, all right? Now, I wanted to kind of help you understand that better by first giving you a contrast of what I call go and see versus share and serve. Go and see is something we all do. We're all very familiar with what it looks like to go and see. And that's when we experience something different. You know, we, we, you and I would experience something different from sort of our normal day-to-day -day life. And that was because we went somewhere that we don't normally go, or we went somewhere where it was kind of outside of our, our comfort zone, right? And, and that's part of the, the going. And then we observe what's different. We observe what's different around us. We observe, um, uh, you know, uh, new information maybe we didn't know before. We observe the kind of the contrast between us and them. We observe all these things, and maybe we document it. Maybe we take some pictures, and maybe we we uh, you know post about it and give a quick Facebook update about it, right? But then eventually. We return. Eventually, we come home, right, if, you're, if it's a place. Eventually, we come home. Eventually, we return. Eventually, we go back to our day-to-day -day life and our routines, and it's over. And that is what go and see 
really represents. And we do this all the time. All of us do. We do it when we go to the zoo, right? You go to the zoo and you see things that you do not see normal on every day to day in your life. You know, I don't normally see apes throwing stuff at each other. Josh and Heather don't count, right? I mean, in my office, that's not, that's not how it counts. I don't see apes of that kind throwing the other. You know, it works. It's the same when you go to a museum. You go to a museum, it's very different. You see all the things that are different. You learn something maybe you didn't uh, know before. It's the same when you go on a big vacation. I'm not talking about your, the Myrtle Beach, you know, the thing you do in the mountains you do every other, every other month. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about like a big vacation, somewhere exotic or somewhere you've never been before. And you go and you take lots of selfies and lots of pictures and you, you document it and you put a lot of Facebook posts and you, you, know, you kind of keep that going. But eventually, right, eventually you come home. Eventually you return and then go back to your everyday life. That's go and see. And believe it or not, that's actually the way it works sometimes with what we call mission trips in church, in church world, okay? So a church says, hey, this is where we're going. We have an opportunity to go. And you say, okay, I want to go. And, and a lot of people will approach, many, many Christians have approached mission trips and said, I'd be great and I'd love to go. And you, you travel somewhere outside your comfort zone, somewhere you've never been before. You go there, you, you observe, you see all the things that are different. You learn something new. You take some selfies, you take some pictures, you document it, you come home, you go back to your everyday life and then nothing changes. That's go and see. That's a go and see, really, intention in addition to outcome. And that's the reason I want you to see that, because for us as a church, our intention, our strategy, if you will, is driven by sharing and serving. That's our completely driving intent. But it's not just the intent that shows that we share the hope that we have and we serve others in love. The, the goal is the fact that we want to see a change happen afterwards. And that's how we know we've actually gone to share and serve. Because to be honest, again, like anything else, including missions, you can go and see and nothing can change in your life. But it's my opinion that you cannot, listen, you cannot share and serve and receive no change. You will change. If you go to share and you go to serve, you'll experience change in you as well as the change you'll experience on that, exact, on that experience itself. I want to share very quickly um, some testimonies of you all throughout the day of, of people that have traveled and people have been a part of our Go experiences. This is from two travelers who uh, went to Peru, went to serve. You just saw the video, went to serve in, in Peru at the Hubdi house. One, was, uh, one traveler said that this is not a day, there's not a day that goes by that I don't pray and think about the girls and the staff you hear their stories, you love on their babies, and you see the positive change that are all happening around you. It's hard not to fall in love. And I love these words. It says, for me, this bloomed, aka this changed from a just go trip to a share it with everyone after I visited. Right? It, cha it changed. Maybe it even started with a go and see, but it changed because of the sharing and the serving. Another, another traveler said that the, the girl's joy and love through their tragic events has forever changed my outlook on life. It's reframed my thinking on gratitude and life drastically. And I really do believe this is not just something that applies again to global outreach or even local outreach. It has to just do with how we're called to live. It's how our faith is expressed. Our faith is expressed locally and globally. Global, this is not just a strategy. You have to go several states away or you have to fly across the country to do this. 
This is just what we're called to do. We are called to share the hope that's been given to us, and we're called to serve one another in love. That's it. That's how faith works. That's how our faith is supposed to work. It's, it, what we do globally should just really be an extension of the expression we're already living. And here's some scripture just to kind of walk you through some of that in terms of sharing, in terms of what, what it is that we go to share. This is, a, this is the, uh, in 1 Corinthians, this is Paul. This is the language we use for our vision, for our vision as a church. It says, this means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life has gone and the new life has begun. That's why we're transformed people. That's why we use this scripture for our uh, vision statement. But it goes on and says, all of this is a gift from God, the absolute hope, what brought us back to himself through Christ. And God has given us this task of reconciling people to him. God has given us this task. He's invited us to be a part of sharing that hope and inviting others back to God. Peter also says it. He says, you must worship Christ as the Lord of your life. And if someone asks you about the hope as a believer, always be ready to explain it. The NIV says, if anybody asks you about the hope, always be ready to share the hope that's within you, right? John says it this way, and first, or sorry, Paul says it, uh, Peter, sorry, Paul, Peter and Paul and John, I don't know, and Mary, whatever. Uh, Paul says in Thessalonians, we got a lot of scripture this morning, we loved you so much that we shared with you not only God's good news, but our lives too. So we didn't just share a message. That's not just what we're called to share. Part of sharing the hope with people is sharing us, sharing our lives, sharing who we are with them as well. Keep going. This is a, the psalmist, or sorry, this is Solomon in the Proverbs. He says, give freely and become more wealthy. Be stingy and lose everything. And the, I love this last part of this 25. He says, the generous will prosper. Those who refresh others will themselves be refreshed. Those who are willing to have this lifestyle, not just of, of taking, but, to, but of giving. Those who have the lifestyle of understanding stewardship. Those who have the lifestyle of sharing what they have with others, who refresh others, will they themselves be refreshed. And this is why I believe you can't share. You cannot go and share hope with other people and it not affect you and it not change who you are. I want to share some pictures really quickly about, this was my first overseas uh, mission experience, it was about five years ago when we went to Kenya, uh, to Kilgoris, Kenya with the Kilgoris Project, and this was me on the first day. The first day we arrived in the village, so we arrived in Nairobi and uh, we flew and then we uh, drove uh, far into the northwest um, side of the country to the Maasai area, and, and, and this was me on the first day. We walked into the village just to kind of get, and, and you know, Mazungas, we're white people, and we're already a target there, but a giant white person is a real target there, okay? So um, uh, so they just flood, to, you know, they just come to you. They don't have any idea why you're there, so they come around. The kids love it. And so I took some pictures, and this is, you know, pictures aren't wrong. You know, I'm not trying to dog people who picture things. They take pictures. You enjoy that experience. Um, but what really began to change me were the people that I continued to meet and share my life with. Um, this is Moses. We're making a Jason sandwich here. And uh, just ignore Jason for a minute because we're, we're going to focus on Moses. But this is Moses. You may not th think that's what Moses looks like, but that's what Moses looks like, right? And uh, Moses uh, helped interpret for me uh, when I was there. He helped interpret for me when I, uh, for a couple days when I was talking with pastors and I was sitting down just talking to them about you know, some of the challenges they experience as a church and, and as pastors in their villages and, um, and just really enjoyed getting to know. Uh, Moses more and more. And then the next day, he had the opportunity to take us through uh, the school that his church, he has Winds of Grace Church as well, where his church uh, meets in. 
And Moses and I connect on Facebook, and we, we connect through Messenger, and he'll comment on things in my life, and I'll comment on things that every once in a while when, when he posts. And Moses also, a couple of years ago, I was supposed to go back about two and a half years ago and didn't have the opportunity to go, and yet almost two years ago now, uh, his wife died giving birth to their fifth child because the hospital didn't have all that it needed to keep her alive. And, and, and my heart broke for Moses. It just broke for Moses, and I can't wait. Listen, we're going back this next summer. I can't wait to go, and part of it is because I want to see Moses, and I want to wrap my arms around him and just tell him again, as I've told him in messages and told him before, how much I'm praying for him and his family because it's made a change in me, just like it changes them when we go and serve. Uh, Don uh, Gentry and I are going back to Haiti tomorrow. Tomorrow we're going back to kind of spearhead a project that may take us uh, several more trips into next year in addition to the trip we take as a church to train pastors. We're going to train about 40 church pastors and some of their uh, leaders in the course of two, uh, two days. And we're really excited to go back. And, and, and to be honest, this is something I do very naturally. This is something I already, I do it here uh, at our church. I've done it in South Carolina. This is a part of the Cypress uh, program that we're, we support as a church in terms of training pastors. It's something I do very naturally. It's just part, I could just go do this and be fine. But part of going is sharing. And when I got to go last time, I got to go and our team actually went. And I have a special gift. I'll show you my, my special gift. I can put any baby to sleep. You know, it has to do with my baby bump personally, I think, but I have a gift, right? I have a gift. I can put any baby to sleep. And as we went into the village to, to our children, were doing a, a program there for the, for the kids. So the kids were doing a program and there was a mama there that I offered to just hold her child so that she could go with her other older children and go enjoy the gospel presentation and the program that was being delivered from our students. And that's just part of sharing. Even just, even that little element of being able to hold that baby and be able to have some small conversation with the mom as to why I'm willing to do that for them. Why I'm willing to do that for her so that she can go and enjoy. And she didn't mind that I put, it, put her to sleep, which was great. That's part of sharing. Again, I, I don't think you can go and see. I just don't think that's possible. You can go and see and nothing change, but you really can't go and share yourself and something not change in you. And it's the same when we serve. It's the same when we align our gifts and our passions and our purposes up with how we serve people and how we serve people in love. Here's some, uh, some scripture. This is gonna, we're going to start off with, I think, Paul or Peter. This is Peter. He says, God has given each of you a gift from his great variety of spiritual gifts. Use them well to serve one another. He's given you gifts. He's given something to you to use, so use them. Use them to serve one another. Uh, this is John where he says, uh, Dear children, let's not merely say that we love each other. Let us show the truth by our actions, right? Our actions will show that we belong to the truth. That there's something about the way in which we serve. There's something about our faith and the way in which it plays itself out that tells us who we belong to. It tells us who, what, you know, what truth we actually believe. It's not just what we say. And continue on. This one's uh, Paul again in Galatians. He says, For you have been called to live in freedom, my brothers and sisters, but don't use your freedom to satisfy your sinful nature. Instead, use that freedom to what? Read it out loud. To serve one another in love. That's how we're supposed to use what's been given. 
to us. Now, again, it's not wrong to serve. It's not wrong to go and do things when you're going overseas or going to other states to help uh, through the mission projects. But for us, for us, we are very careful that the work that we do and the things that we go to do are things that are actually helping the organizations and the countries that we're in. We're not trying to, to just do some things so we feel better about doing them. We're not trying to do things that we're dictating what we want to do because that's what we do and to make it easier for us. No, we go to serve and do the things that they need us to do. And it doesn't matter what it is. Sometimes it's just swinging a pickaxe. This is me. Uh, this is called the pickaxe gang right here. And this is us uh, down in Peru again at the Hovde house. And, and we were serving, uh, serving them. Why? Why are we doing this? This is for a garden. We were extending their, their gardens there, running some irrigation uh, for that. And as we were doing that process, as I was learning, uh, it wasn't just to provide more food for them, because that's how they sustain. It wasn't just to provide that, but the more gardens that they had and the more opportunities they had, they were teaching these girls how to do that. They were teaching them how the irrigation works and how it works for them to grow their own food so that when they left the shelter, when they actually experienced the healing from their tragic uh, circumstances and their tragic abuse, when they actually went out on their own with their kids, they could actually begin and know how to provide for themselves. And that's just part of what we were able to do, to serve them in a way that mattered. And it doesn't matter what your skill level is, you can serve. This is me at ASP, and I, I can't do anything, but I look good in a tool belt, right? I, I mean, that's, I can't do much. And I made Jen do all the work on this uh, part of the house, because I don't like ladders, and that's just who I am. But Jen got up there, and I was handing her nails and handing her equipment. And, and it doesn't matter who you are, you can serve. And the ASP is, pr- is primarily a service-driven opportunity to, to make homes warmer, safer, drier. It's, it's ability to open doors to let us in and then share hope with families. But anyone can serve at any time. And this is the reason that sharing and serving makes the difference in our life is because it's the thing that puts our faith into action. So I don't want anybody to remain in a place of no maybe and one day. I want you to move to a place of yes. I want you to move to a place where where you are wide open to what God might want to do. You are wide open to saying yes to opportunities that he would maybe nudge you and prompt you to move towards. Just to have that position. Because again, a lot of us just can sit in a place of no because our lives are busy and we live without margin and there's just no way and sometimes it's maybe because it's, you know, it's like, well, and, and that's a lot of Christians are just like, well, maybe if it worked out, if God were to draft, you know, magically change everything, then maybe I would. You know, if he were to solve all these problems, then maybe I could go. The worst is probably one day because we say one day things with emphatic confidence. Oh, no, I'm going one day. Oh, no, oh, no, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do that one day. And one day is the worst because we can stay in that place for year after year after year after year and never actually do anything. So why do you need to say yes? Well, let me make a case. I'm going to give you two reasons why I believe that our heart response, especially when it comes to, to global opportunities to say yes to share and serve, there's two reasons I think you should. Two reasons I want you to have that response. And I'm going to start with the selfish one. How about that? I'm going to start with the one that you get to be a little selfish on. And I'm saying it as your pastor. If you need to be a little bit selfish to take the step, you go ahead and be selfish, okay? God's got bigger plans. He's big enough to handle your selfishness, all right? So I'm going to start with the selfish side first. This is where Paul says, I want to tell them, 
This is going back to verse 16. We're starting at 18, but verse 16, the them he's talking about are those who are rich in this world. And you may not feel rich in this world. If you, I'm just telling you, if, you, if your household income is above $33,000, you are in the 1%. Okay, You are in the 1% club in terms of worldwide wages. And you may not feel like that, that you're rich, but I'm, it's very simple. If you have a car and you have a house for your car, you are rich. Okay, Just understand that. He's talking to you and he's talking to us. He says, tell those who've been given so much, who've been blessed so much to use their money to do good, that they should be rich in action, rich in good works and generous to those in need, always being ready to read the words, share with others, right? Keep going. By doing this, they will be storing up their treasure as a good foundation for the future so that they may experience true life. By doing this, by doing this, you get to experience the thing that God wants you to experience. You get to experience the life that God has for you. And who doesn't want that? Like, it's okay to be selfish there. God has incredible things for you. Don't you want that? You should. Have you ever wondered why, maybe this is true for you today, have you ever wondered why you have all that you have, but you're not happy? And you're not satisfied? It's because your foundation is nothing. And here's, here's Paul saying, no, you need to understand, the way your faith works is when you put those things in action, you take the blessing of God and you put it out for the world, you share and you serve others, it builds this rock-solid foundation for a true life for you to experience. So that's reason number one. Why not? It's the best thing for you. The second reason is that we are flat out commanded to do so. We are flat out commanded to do this. And so I'm going to, it's time to put your big boy and big girl pants on, okay, a little bit, because I'm going to read some stuff from Jesus' brother, James. And if you don't know who James is, James' nickname was James the Just, okay? He was nicknamed James the Just. I tell people all the time when they read the book of James, just picture like an old wise preacher, right? That's who James was. And James would not fit our culture very well. He would not fit this culture very well. Why? Because he was not afraid to hurt your feelings, right? He was never all that politically correct. And he didn't, I mean, this is reading from stuff on Acts and other things. He really didn't care if he offended you, if he was teaching the gospel, if he was doing what he felt like God called him to do. So he wouldn't fit in the little, you know, the culture we currently have, but that's who he was. James the just. And James says, look, it's not just a command, but it's how your faith works. So here's what he says in chapter two. He says this, he says, what good is it, dear brothers and sisters, if you say that you have faith, but you don't show it by your actions? Can, and can that kind of faith save anyone? And he's not talking about can that kind of faith save other people. He's saying, can that faith, is the faith that you think you have that doesn't have any action, can it actually save you? Do you think that faith is what the faith that saves you? And he goes on to say, suppose you see a brother and sister who has no food or clothing, and you say, goodbye, have a good day, stay warm and eat well, but then you don't give that person <laughs> any food or clothing, what good does that do, right? He goes on to say, see, you see, faith by itself isn't enough unless it produces good deeds. It is dead and useless. 
And then he actually prompts an argument because James was actually pretty good at arguing. And, and he, several times in his, book, in his book, you'll see he actually kind of shows the argument and then solves the argument. Okay, So here's another place where he does it. He says, some may argue, hey, some people have faith and others have good deeds. This would have been an argument that James was used to. Hey, some people devote themselves to knowledge and to, the, and to the living out the religion and the word of God, and some people serve the poor, and some people you know, are the extension of the church. He's, he's, he's outlining that, well, some people you know, can just go to life group, and they can just go to Bible studies, and there's other people who can go to Peru, and there's other people who can go to Kenya, and there's other people who can serve locally. And he says, well, how can you show me your faith if you don't have any good deeds? And he ends that by argument by saying, I will show you my faith. I will show you my faith, what I believe, what is true, by my good deeds. James is very honest. He says, listen, I mean, he's a straight shooter. He says, this is how faith works. You cannot claim to have faith that's not actually faith if you don't do something. And he's not, listen, he's not saying that you do something to get faith. He's not, and never makes the argument that you have to do something to receive God, to receive salvation. But he says, you cannot say you have something if it doesn't produce anything in your life, right? You cannot say that you're a fruit tree, right? If you don't have fruit, y'all with me? You don't produce anything. And he doesn't stop there. And this is where he gets a little bit more, you know, a little bit more straight. He, he doesn't just stop there because he's challenging the whole church to what faith looks like and how it should be lived. And then he, like Paul, goes on to address the rich. He goes on to address those who've been blessed. He goes on to address those who, uh, who have houses for their uh, cars. Okay, let's keep going. All right. Look here, you rich people. Weep and groan with anguish because of all the terrible tr- troubles that are ahead of you. And he says, your wealth is rotting away, and your fine clothes are moth-eaten rags. Your gold and silver are corroded. The very wealth you are counting on will eat away your flesh like flat fire. Now, I had to look this up contextually because I had no idea what that meant, okay? I had to look this up and find out, okay, why would James say something like this? What was the, what was the deal? Because I kind of get the understanding that, you know, they're putting their hope in wealth. They're putting their hope in security. They're putting their hope in, in being comfortable. And he says, look, all the clothes that you have are rotting away. All the riches that you're storing are actually corroding. And that last statement about eating your flesh like fire has to do with disease, has to do the context of illness back in their day, had to do with the fact that, listen, and this is, and we can understand this in better language, money won't save you from cancer. Like all the things you're trusting in will not stop you from losing the people you love. It won't. It won't. Nothing that you are currently counting on will work. And he goes on to say that this wealth, this corroded treasure you have hoarded will testify against you on the day of judgment. Like 
All of this stuff that you've done with good intentions, all the things that you've done to provide a foundation for your family, all the things that you've done to collect and collect and collect and and build walls and build corners and build empires and build things so that you feel like you're safe and your family's safe and nothing can touch you and nothing, no financial hardships are going to come your way. All the things you're doing with good intention, these are the very same things that are going to testify against you. The things that you've hoarded, the things that you haven't used that are corroding away are going to be the very things that testify against you when judgment comes. Skip down to verse 5. He says, you've spent your years on earth in luxury, satisfying your every desire. You have fattened yourself for the day of slaughter. And again, this is a contextual thing for those who had wealth. You know, they would have, uh, they had to plan for things. They didn't, this, there was no deep freezers, right, in the basement. Or there was no, there was none of that. So they had for weddings or parties or things that they were, you know, that would come up for celebrations. They had to uh, take one of their animals, a sheep, a goat, a, a calf, and they would just, you know, kind of pull it apart from the rest and they would feed that one just a little bit more and they would give that one just a little bit more and they would kind of, you know, kind of stuff that one to the gills. And then when it was time for the wedding or the party or the celebration, they would kill the fatted calf. Now, your head if you've heard that statement before, right? So this statement that he's saying, they fully understand. He says, look, all the things, you have lived in this luxury, you have taken every, just because God gave it for you, you thought it was for you, and you've done nothing but fat, you're the fattened calf. Man, what insulting words to his audience. But the same is true for us, and that's the part that I, I want to make sure that we all hear today. A lot of us worry, a lot of us worry about what we do, the mistakes we make, and the things that we do, and the judgment that may or may not come on the things that we do. And none of us spend a whole lot of time worried about the things that we haven't done that are going to testify against us. The, st- the things we haven't uh, uh, taken advantage of, the opportunities that he prompted us to do, and we said no, or maybe, or one day. And the things that we haven't done, and because of the things we're storing and trying to secure for ourselves, will one day, one day be the very thing that goes against us, that will testify against our character and our faith. And I don't want that to be the case for you or for me. I don't want to be in the case where, it's a, where you know, we, we spend our lives hoarding everything and it just rusting away, and we just wait to be judged. I want us to live lives of sharing and serving. I want everybody to move to a place where their heart says yes. Yes to what? Well, just speaking in terms of this only, global outreach, global opportunities, we have 72 opportunities available in 2019. 72 opportunities available for you to say yes to. There are 21 available today. 21 available today. We have seven opportunities to go uh, to be a part of our our trip to Kenya, which I'd love to invite you personally to be a part of. We have uh, Peru is opening up their registration for you to, 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 to possibly go to Peru next year as well. We have 21 of those open today for you to say yes to. And it's not enough for me to invite you to Kenya. We actually want to show you our partner video with uh, David Lamiso, who's the TKP director there in Kilgoris, and he wants to invite you to come as well. Let's watch this together.
Hi, John Church. I'm David Lemiso. I work with TKP as Executive Director. I know most of you know me, and I'm excited that most of you are coming to see me soon. You know, the TKP is a project working in the community, Maasai community, in the rural side of Maasai, and uh, mostly it helps in education and supporting health and even the community partnership. Your partnership with us as journey with TKP has really helped us to reach the community through education, through the ministry, reach out to our communities, and uh, it has really transformed life. Also excited next summer to see wonderful team from Journey led by Ma, and it'll be really great to be together and see what God is doing here. Welcome all, as always. Thank you. I love how he says most of us are coming. That's good. He's very positive, right? <laughs> most of us are coming. Well, again, I hope you understand the challenge today to say yes, to share and serve your life. And here's, here's just the backside of that. Don't get stuck on how. Everybody say how. Yeah, okay. Everybody say how the way you say it in your head. How? How's that going to happen? How am I going to take off time at work? How am I going to pay for this? How, how in the world will that happen? Do not get stuck on how, okay? If I got stuck on how, I would not be the pastor of this church. I can promise you that. Amen. Do not get stuck on how. God will work that out. A couple cool testimonies of some folks that have traveled. Uh, one, Nick said, take a leap and don't worry about the cost. God will provide for you. You will be able to see and, and participate in something that is bigger than you could possibly imagine. Uh, last week, one of the travelers going to Kenya uh, actually gave us this testimony as well. She said, I was starting to worry about the Kenya trip and worried that I bit off more than I could chew financially and I was, began to feel stressed about it. Today, she said, my boss came into my office and handed me a check for $250, which is the exact amount of the deposit I was worried about. And she said, this is a little Thanksgiving and Christmas bonus that I never expected and didn't plan on getting. And for many folks, $250 is nice, but not a huge amount of money. But it was a big deal for me to watch God work in such a mysterious way on my behalf. I want every one of you to experience what it looks like not to go and see, but to share and serve and see the change that it will make in you. I looked back because Kenya is, uh, I mean, I'm going to Haiti tomorrow, but because Kenya is sort of the next big trip for me <clears throat> next year. And if you have questions about Kenya, I'd love to answer those for you that we'll do it in the lobby as well. But um, I went back and looked at my journal notes because I was looking for pictures, but I went back and looked at my journal notes from my trip there. And I'll just share a quick entry of uh, something I wrote uh, towards the end of my week there. Here's what I wrote. I said, there's so much that is different yet the same as I think about the people that I've met this week. When I close my eyes, I no longer see only white suburbanites living in a comfortable shade of Lake Norman. But I see brown and green hillsides, red and black blankets worn with pride, the laughter of children, 
and smiles that are larger than life. This will forever change the way I pray and the way I view the kingdom of God. And I can promise you that was true then and it's still true today. It has that, that alone experience forever changed who I picture when I pray and how I see the kingdom of God. Now, if you think that James, I'm just going to throw this out there. If you think that James was a little harsh, all right, if it reminded you too much of your Baptist preacher from being a kid, okay, I get it. I totally get it. James is a straight shooter. But listen, James gets his marching orders from Jesus. Okay. James gets his direction from Jesus himself. And so if you have a problem with what James says, I totally understand. Now I want to read to you what Jesus says. And he said this, I was hungry and you fed me. I was thirsty and you gave me a drink and I was a stranger and you invited me into your home. I was naked and you gave me clothing. I was sick and you cared for me. I was in prison and you visited me. And this is him teaching uh, his disciples. And those of the righteous ones around will reply, Lord, when did we ever see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? right? Or a stranger and show you hospitality or naked or give you clothing. When did we ever see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will say, and this is Jesus talking about himself. He says, the king will say, I tell you the truth. When you did it to, to one of the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you were doing it to me. And that's usually where the scripture ends. That's usually where, because it's very inspirational, right? Isn't that inspirational? Like you just, you know, like, look, guys, go do it. Like you're doing it for Jesus, right? When you go do this, you are doing it for him. That's what Jesus said. And we usually stop it at the inspiration. We stop it there because it makes everybody feel a little bit better. But that's only half of what Jesus said. This is where James gets his marching orders is the rest of the story. Jesus said it this way. The king will turn to those on the left and say, away with you, cursed ones, into eternal fire prepared for the devil and his demons. For I was hungry and you didn't feed me. I was thirsty and you didn't give me a drink. I was a stranger and you didn't invite me into your home. I was naked and you didn't give me clothing. I was sick and in prison and you didn't visit me. And then they will reply, Lord, when did we ever see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and not help you? When did this happen? And he will answer, I tell you the truth, when you refused to help, the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you were refusing to help me. Those are Jesus' words. Not James, not a, not a big old time preacher, not James the just. This is, he gets this from Jesus himself that your faith only works when it's combined with the action your faith requires. That your faith that you claim to have needs to be followed up with a heart that says yes, that is willing and open and honest and able to respond and surrender to the call he's placed in your life. And I don't know what that means. Understand, I'm not saying to you this morning, go here, you do this, split the room, you go this way. You know, I'm not giving you that kind of direction because I don't know. I don't know what God is going to prompt you to do. I don't know what he's going to ask you to do. I don't know what he's going to provide in terms of opportunities for you. I just know that if you do not have a heart that says yes, that's willing to respond with yes, 
that you are going to miss out on what God has called for you. You are going to miss out on it, and you are going to make other decisions in the midst of that that are going to testify against you. You're going to choose other try to good intended things to do, and it's not going to be what God asked you to do. So don't be a no, or a maybe, or a one day. Be a yes today. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for how your word does challenge us. And no, we do not like what James says, and he's a little too straight shooting for us most of the time. But Jesus, even your words are convicting. Even your words, spoken in love, were to help us understand that our refusal to do what you've called us to do, our refusal to be yes to you, our refusal to surrender our lives to you, our well-intended ideas of, of saving up for ourselves and trying to secure things for ourselves first before we expend, before we spend, and and give ourselves away. God, that's not what you've called us to do. And so God, today I pray that by the power of your spirit, you are already doing a work in this place. That you'd be moving people from no and maybe and one day to a heart posture of yes. And I don't know what that means, God. I don't know what that fully entails, but God, if you would, by your spirit, just do that and, and they would be willing to surrender to that, God, Man, the directions you would put them in, the, the things that you would bring to life that they don't even know they need yet, you're so able to do all those things and more. So God, we surrender to you now. We, we pray that by your Spirit, we would see real change begin to happen in our lives as we share hope with others and as we serve others in love. And we pray all this in your name, Jesus. Amen.